They're onto me, man. These people, these fans online, man. Those guys, they're sharper than nails. You can't put anything past them. Oh my god, dude. I'm freaking out. I'm so stressed out. I feel like I'm having a panic attack. You want to talk about stress? You want to talk about stress? Okay, I've stumbled onto a major multiversal incident. How about that for stress? What the hell are you talking about? This, all of this, it's connected like a web. I got a paper trail to prove it. Check this out, man. You got to look at this. Jesus Christ, Skip. That right there is a crossover. Now, let's talk about crossovers. Can we talk about crossovers, please, Jake? I've been dying to talk about crossovers with you all day, okay? John Munch. This name keeps coming up over and over again. Every time I turn on the TV, I have to wonder, is this a crossover? John Munch, John Munch. I turn on Netflix, and the whole recommended section is all John Munch, and I say to myself, I got to find if this guy's the same character. Otherwise, I'm never going to find out. He's going to keep popping up in my Hulu feed. That's why I got to go to Richard Belzer's website. And what do I find out, Jake? What do I find out? There is no John Munch. The man does not exist. Okay? So you decide, oh, shit, buddy. We got to dig a little deeper. There's no John Munch. You got to be kidding me. I got watch next list full of Munch. All right? So I start marching my way up to IMDb. And I go on the Tribune section. And I search Belzer. Belzer. I got to talk about John Munch. And when I open the page, what do I find? There's not a single goddamn comment on the page. There is no Richard Belzer on IMDb. Jake, half the appearances on TV have been made up. It's a goddamn ghost town. Okay, Skip, I'm going to stop you right there. Not only does Richard Belzer and John Munch exist, they are in everything. He has a website and YouTube talk show. It's all creators could do to put him in everything. Jesus Christ, dude, we're going to lose our pod. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. the proper approach pattern for today. So welcome to Dispatch Ajax. Hey, that show we do. That show that we sometimes do. <laughs> I'm Jake. Every week. I'm Skip. <laughs> yep. Now, Jake, are you aware that everything that we know is a lie? Yes. No. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially television. It's a living organism. Oh, is that true? Like, if I fall asleep, it, it might eat me? Yes, 100%. Yeah, you have to keep your TV facing the wall <laughs> while you're asleep. Honey, turn the TV around before you go to bed. <laughs> yeah, otherwise the corpse of Danny Thomas crawls out of the <laughs> USB port. Of all of the things. Make room for daddy. <laughs> then it just curls up next to you and sleeps. It's really not that bad. It's just looking oh, for a cuddle. Oh, hi, TV. In fact, the entire ecosystem of television itself, shockingly, is, well, not all TV, but quite a bit of TV is interconnected, like a mycelial network. Really? Yeah, it's sexy. Think of it as one giant organism. You know, like the mushroom colony on, in that X-Files episode? Believe it or not, that's TV. Huh. Because, <laughs> because of a theory about the interconnectedness of all things by the late comic book writer Dwayne McDuffie. He worked for Marvel and DC. He also founded Milestone Comics, which of course gave you Static Shock. And then, oh, ow, God, you, you said it, and I got shocked just just by <laughs> hearing it. No, no, that's your t your TV started. It's happening now. Oh, TV! Hide your pets. <laughs> Be nice, TV. Treat me well. <laughs> 
You just roll over and present. And, <laughs> Jake's getting mounted. Help. Uh, well, at least, at least the TV has taken me. <laughs> I've always loved you, TV. Uh, TV, you're my best friend. TV raised me. <laughs> it did, really. I, I've seen just as much Matlock as I have my parents. Oh, man. I'm pretty sure. It's the cable guy come to life. So, Dwayne McDuffie found some interesting connections in certain TV shows, the little threads that seem innocuous unless you zoom out and you see the bigger picture and you realize that they kind of go from show to show to show, uniting the whole thing into a tapestry of, I shouldn't be watching so much TV. But... No such thing exists. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's lovingly referred to as the Tommy Westfall universe. Yeah, and I know this isn't new, but we didn't have a podcast when this came out. So just this is for everybody who doesn't understand it. Well, I mean, I, how many people have heard the Tommy Westfall or his universe? It, it's true. Like I watched St. Elsewhere as a kid because my parents loved it. It didn't last all that long, but it does have maybe the most iconic ending of any series in television history. There are only a few that I think might rival it. It's epic. I guess epic for the opposite reason. It's uh, small and contained and... It's insular? Yes. So St. Elsewhere is a hospital melodrama. There were six seasons of St. Elsewhere, lasting 137 episodes. Of a show that nobody remembers. I actually found some of it on DVD not too long ago. And you threw it away. St. Elsewhere was an 80s hospital drama that had a quirky take. This is the same show that had both Denzel Washington and Howie Mandel playing, you know, so that's kind of like both ends of the spectrum there. Yeah, and it also had um, Ed Begley Jr., Ronnie Cox, Alfred Woodard. Uh, William Daniels, who played the principal on uh, Boy Meets World. G.W. Bailey, who was the head cop in Police Academy. Oh, yeah, that's right. Norman Lloyd, he's been in a ton of stuff. So, so yeah, it was an American medical drama created by Joshua Brand and John Falsey. Falsey, wow, that's is that a omen? Hmm. <laughs> We're getting real meta now. And it ran on NBC from October 26, 1982 to May 25th, 1988. Think of it as your precursor to ER. It's like post-Quincy slash emergency. It's almost like a primetime soap opera, but not Dynasty or Dallas. At times gritty, at times compelling, and other times um, bordered on science fiction or mystery. And uh, it was a little like Twin Peaks. It had a very loyal fan base. The TV Guide in 2002 ranked it number 20 on the list of the 50 greatest TV shows of all time. So it takes place in the fictional St. Eligius, which is a uh, rundown urban teaching hospital in Boston's South End. The nickname for the hospital, obviously, was St. Elsewhere, because it was a slang term used in the medical field to refer to hospitals that serve patients turned away by bigger institutions, like in season four of Fargo. Yay! Or you don't have insurance? Well, American you know. Industrial Complex. Yeah. Yay! Woo! <laughs> so, the reason they were able to do what they did and still have funding and things is because they were a medical training facility. Tommy Westfall is the child of Donner, Dr. Donald <laughs> Westfall. Off the bat, just nailing it. Richard Donner's son. It's, that's what happened. <laughs> so, so Tommy is on the autism spectrum. and Does he play pinball? I'm not willing to answer that at this point. 
<laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. We'll save that for a later show. <laughs> you just put that in your pocket. <laughs> Fold it up and put it in there. So his first episode revolves around looking for a caretaker for Tommy, because he doesn't know how to take care of him. Tommy and his father don't really play major roles in San Elsewhere. His father specifically only appears in 15 of the 137 episodes. But he ends up becoming like the linchpin of the entire concept. So the final scene of St. Elsewhere's series finale, which is called The Last One, takes us from the hospital to this open apartment. Wait, you gotta do the, you, you have to do the snow. Yeah, snow is coming down. You know, they look longingly out the window to the snow, and then it switches to some blue collar, low rent apartment where. The same actor who plays Tommy Westwell's father comes in from his hard day at work at the horse rendering plant or whatever and puts away the clown shoes. And why do they make me work in these clown shoes? My father wore clown shoes for 80 years. One of the other characters who's also a major doctor character in the show is the guy watching over him. It's his grandfather. The actor who played Dr. Daniel Oshlander is there, but he's Tommy's grandfather. We've completely stripped down the characters, and now they're new characters. So so Donald wishes... Oh, I thought you were going to say there were nude characters. I was going to get really excited. No, it was new with umlauts over the U. <laughs> like Slipknot. Just like Slipknot. <laughs> this is exactly like Slipknot. Slipknot might be involved in the Time Westfall universe. Possible. I'm gonna. You know what? You know I'm gonna search yeah, it's that. It's possible. You you continue. I'm gonna look for this. I don't think it's ever appeared in anything fictional. We can't count live appearances. Hey, you you just you just continue on. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the hard the hard and dirty. I don't know what that even means. So Donald Westfall expresses that he wishes that he understood what was going on in Tommy's head because Tommy is nonverbal. Somewhere on the spectrum. They're focused on the idea that Tommy is staring at a snow globe, which apparently he stares at every day. And in the snow globe is the hospital of St. Eligius. Dun, dun, dun. <gasps> in the 80s? That's a head exploder. Oh, yeah. I mean, for some people, it was like, what the F is going on? Yeah. A lot of people hated it. But are you saying that this whole thing was in Tommy's head? They're telling you that's all Tommy said. Who is who is they? Is it the government? It's the Greys. I don't I don't like that actually. <laughs> oh no! Is this more fire in the sky yeah. PTSD that we're dealing with? Can we just leave the Greys out of it? The Greys creep me out. You've Please, never even been deducted. I I don't know that. I can't be sure of that. I'm pretty sure you'd know at this point. I, hey, you know, not everybody's memories <laughs> come to. You filled out the customer and... survey. See, you get a free Whopper. I don't understand arguing about it now. I don't read my mail. That thing's halfway to Siberia by now. <laughs> I sent it to Abu Dhabi with Nermal. That's a deep cut into uh, Garfield and Friends. <laughs> Quote, unquote. I'm pretty sure that was wasn't that the name of the show. Yeah, but he doesn't treat them like friends. Yeah, he doesn't really have friends. He had other creatures that were next to him that he despised. And he lived with. Yeah, and he verbally abuses John constantly. He doesn't have friends. No, he hates Odie. He hates John. He's a sociopath. And so it's Garfield and friends. They're not his friends. They're just other sentient creatures who are also in his close proximity. 
Yeah, you know what? I think you could make an argument that Garfield isn't a real character. He's the uh, lingering self-doubt or ennui of anybody who interacts with John. You know what I mean? Because you've read, I think I do. You've read Garfield without Garfield. Yeah, yes, I have. That's a compelling case. Mm-hmm. Family Circus Nietzsche is better though, but <laughs> that one is still pretty good. Anyway, what McDuffie postulates is that because of all the cameos and guest appearances and common threads in all of these different shows from people who appeared. Insane Elsewhere, and then as the same character in other series, you've created a connected web of shows that logically have to all be inside Tommy Westfell's brain. Yes, because the idea is if you have a character who he imagined, and then that character is in another show, well, then that must be another show that he imagined, and thus logically following further yeah. down the rabbit hole that essentially brings most TV into the mind of this little boy. Especially TV, uh, I'd say between the 60s and late 2000s. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like almost all of television. And there are a few dead ends, and we'll talk about that, but some of it just keeps going. And then other shows amplify it by having other a large number of guest stars in their series. It just spreads like syphilis. Like, it's just all over the place. <laughs> and that's what I've been told. It's it just when I watch TV. Okay, so, and this is a very complicated thing, and there are a lot of online debates about it. A lot of people put up infographics and lists about who's in what, and what counts, and what doesn't, and uh, following that thread, but it's impossible to get to all of it. But we wanted to give you sort of an overview so that you're not lost in the weeds. Yeah, so break it down for a skip. Give us a basic <laughs> example. Boom. All right, I was going to break it down. <laughs> break, break, break it down. Strap yourself in, brother man. This is a rabbit hole. We're falling into the good night. There's a logical criteria you have to apply to make this make sense. And here's the basic logic tree. So you have element X as your starting point, right? Unobtainium. <laughs> it's nth metal. <laughs> and so the next step is if element Y is directly connected to X, then Y logically has to be in the same universe as X. Right? Mm-hmm. So if that is true, if element Z is directly or even indirectly connected to element Y, then Z has to be in the same universe as X. And so on and so on and so on ad infinitum. So it's kind of mostly like the transitive property. So St. Elsewhere's Dr. Turner, played by Alfred Warder, is investigated on homicide life on the street. John Munch from Homicide Life on the Street appears in an episode of The X-Files to, to question the lone gunman in a flashback. A mugshot of Malcolm T. Wiggins, which is a character from The X-Files, shows up in Veronica Mars. The other tie is the fictional car rental company Lariat. Veronica's fortune cookie in an episode of Veronica Mars contains the numbers from Lost... Charlie from Lost dated a woman whose father worked an, in the paper factory in Slough, which is from The Office. Oh, okay. And then you can even go a step further because David Brent, the character from The Office, showed up in The American Office in one of the last seasons. I mean, so you kind of have to take a little bit of a leap because he doesn't, you know, Charlie doesn't specifically name the company, but there's only one paper company in Slough. So... It has to be that one by default, right? Uh, it, it, good enough to continue on, I believe. 
obviously there are things that we debate logistical nitpicky things that we have to figure out like if you and i were running it we would exclude certain things that even the, the main tommy westfall investigative team would allow you know what i mean the crime dog mcgruff for the tommy westfall yeah he's sniffing out these connections mm-hmm yeah, since they haven't done anything since 2016, I think we have fair reign over all this to define it ourselves. And so if you make it a flow chart or some sort of visual graphic, some shows have more clout than others. They have a bigger, you know, spidering off because they have more guest appearances because they're kind of like hubs. And each of those hubs expands the universe exponentially. These are shows that have direct one-to-one connections with St. Elsewhere. Cheers. Three of St. Elsewhere's doctors show up as their characters in Cheers. The Bob Newhart Show, which ran from 72 to 78. Elliot Carlin, a character on the show, visited St. Elsewhere, specifically the psych ward. MASH, which ran from 72 to 83. Dr. Mark Craig mentioned MASH's Dr. B.J. Honeycutt in an episode. And then there's a show called The White Shadow, which I don't know anything about. That's because it's, it's, it's a shadow. You can't see it. I don't know. It seems like a Mandigo. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. The White Shadow? I'm not. Did you say Mandingo? Right. Yeah, I was thinking like it's like an opposite Mandingo kind of thing. I don't know. I don't really like it. I don't like any of this. Yeah. The first thing that occurred to me was maybe like an early 80s white man ninja film. Kind of vibe? You mean some direct video thing that came out that had, like, cast members from Escape from New York in it? Yeah, and it's more like Exit the Ninja or something, you know? What was the name of that backdoor pilot that had... uh, Oh, Rima Williams. That was one of them. Do you remember Rima Williams? Yeah, I remember Rima Williams. That was kind of a backdoor pilot to, like, white people doing martial arts. Okay. I really don't know White Shadow. I didn't do any research on that one. I probably should. White Shadow. You know, we're we're really focusing on this white shadow that neither of us know anything about. Storm shadow. That's what it is. No, I don't know. Okay, so those are direct connections. Really easy ones to tie those together. In, of all things, Degrassi Junior High, which ran from 87 to 91, St. Elsewhere's Dr. Donald Westfall is paged over the intercom in a hospital scene in that show. Paging Dr. Herman. But in more than one episode, so it's not just a one-off thing. It's a They wanted you to know that they were referencing that. Homicide Life on the Street, Roxanne Turner, played by the great Alfie Woodard, is a character from St. Elsewhere, and she's investigated for murder, where she does an assisted suicide. So then you get to Chicago Hope, which ran from 94 to 2000, and a character called Kate Austin wins an award that isn't real that they made up for the show called the Cushing Left Anterior Descending Artery Award, which seems super awkward on a bronze plaque. <laughs> I, ideally, it should be a big medal that you, you wear over your chest. Or like a bronze version of Operation. <laughs> so she won that in an episode called uh, Women on the Verge. So this very same made-up award was also won by saying Elsewhere's Dr. Mark Craig in an episode called Samuels and the Kid. And I actually like Chicago Hope. When it came out, I, I thought it was better than ER. It had Mandy Patankin in it. It had, um, uh, what's his name from Ghostbusters 2, who was also in Dragon Slayer. He was like their lawyer. Well, uh, hold on. Which what's his name 
from Chicago Hope. I, I know it's the Ghostbusters. Which Ghostbusters 2 guy? Yanish. Oh, okay. He's the main dude in Dragon he was. Slayer. He was the main dude in Dragon Slayer. Yeah, wow. All right. His two biggest roles. I know. That's Yes, once you, you've connected the dots in my head. The dragon has been slain. You, you think the dragon is slain because they connected one dot to the other. Boy, howdy. You're in trouble for this episode. I just got a little tiny dragon. He just sits on my shoulder. It's uh, Lockheed. He's right here. <laughs> and so in the show Oz, if you've ever watched that, it's a, a melodrama about being in prison. It ran from 1997 to 2003. The same company that runs St. Eligius also runs the hospital in the show Oz. Huh. All right. I didn't watch this show. I, I know of its existence, but I don't know much about it. But the show Providence, which ran from 99 to 2002, in the last episode, one of the main characters was uh, urged to apply for a job at St. Eligius Hospital. Hmm. So that is one-to-one a direct reference. And then in, I don't remember, do you remember Boston Public? I remember that it was a thing. Did I watch it? I did not. Uh, it ran from 2000 to 2004. Billy Deegan, which is one of the main characters, his mother receives her pension from St. Eligius Hospital. And then there's this show that I really have no context for, but I, I am curious to look up called Method and Red. From 2004. Is it Method Man and Red Man? See, that's what I thought. It is Method Man and Red Man. Yeah, so it's Method Man yeah, and it Red Man. It was a one-season 2004 sitcom. Two hip-hop artists move into a luxury New Jersey subdivision, much to the dismay of their unhip neighbors. There was a Wu-Tang sitcom? Uh, yes. At least a member of Wu-Tang. And a almost member of Wu-Tang. Almost, yeah, a tag-along of Wu-Tang. A tag-a-tang. Orangutan. Um, no, that's with uh, Clean Eastwood. All right. Yep. No, that's fair. What was the name of that movie? Every Which Way But Loose. Is that right? Please look that up because. I- <laughs> yeah, it's, it's him and the orangutan. All right. We've closed some loops here, apparently. <laughs> so in Method in Red, which, you know what? Now thinking <laughs> oh, yeah. about it, I actually, I actually do kind of remember seeing promos for that. Yeah, I saw the promos. I was like, why would I ever watch that? I don't know. It has three trivia bits. Method Man and Red Man publicly disowned the series after its premiere. <laughs> 13 episodes were made for the show, but Fox canceled it after only airing nine episodes due to low ratings. Surprise, surprise. Yikes. And yeah. the show was shot with a single camera and had a laugh track. Oof. Honestly, having some connection to the Tommy Westfall universe is probably the only thing that gives that show any credibility whatsoever. What connection does that have to the, the Tommy Dubs? In Method and Red. God damn it. It's M-E-T-H-O-D, man. <laughs> oh, man. You're, you're bringing the pain to this podcast. I grew up in the 80s and 90s, man. I'm, I'm hip. I'm happening. So uh, a character called Warren Coolidge, who appeared in both The White Shadow and appeared in St. Elsewhere, also appears in an episode of Method and Red called the shootout okay you've cemented your place in geek valhalla oh do you want to know what the white shadow's about yeah 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 a white former nba professional retires from the pro game and gets a job i knew it as a basketball coach in a predominantly black inner city high school that actually makes sense those are some direct and then secondary direct 
correlations to St. Elsewhere from other series. Here's where it gets, I'm going to say uh, the medical term is buck wild. I learned that on Method and Red, so. Let's hop in the Wayback Machine and talk about uh, a comedian actor named Richard Belzer. <laughs> he doesn't exist. He's not real. Not only is he real, but he's in everything <laughs> by the train to the property. So Richard Belzer was a stand-up comedian between the mid-70s and into the 80s when he became an actor. His style was kind of like sardonic, dry, sort of Bill Hicks-esque. He's one of those guys that you say, like, has a, a face for radio, but <laughs> he was funny. He was sort of, there was a, a loyal following of people who liked his approach to stand-up, including Lorne Michaels, the head of uh, Saturday Night Live, to the extent in which Belzer was the audience warm-up comedian before every show between 1975 and 1980. He was the fluffer for the audience <laughs> of SNL. One of those blue-collar, like, working man-type comedians who had a lot of political opinions. He's very, very much like Bill Hicks in that sense. And so he actually appeared in a few episodes of SNL as well. And uh, strangely enough, he was a musician, I found out today. I didn't know that. He, at one point, opened for Warren Zevon. All right. He's kind of a jack-of-all-trades. And in 1985, he was the host of an entertainment talk show called Hot Properties. He was basically doing the Bill Maher thing when Bill Maher wasn't as sh in one episode, he was interviewing both Hulk Hogan and Mr. T. Boy, I'd like to be on that stage. Or maybe no, I maybe I don't want to be anywhere near that stage. So it was a promotional tour for WrestleMania, the first one, tag team match. And now Belzer was just jabbing it at Hulk Hogan, or Terry, as I like to call him. Belzer kept prodding at him to put him in a, a wrestling move, sort of as a jokey way of proving that it, you know, wrestling isn't real. Which is also funny, because Bill Maher did almost the exact same thing to Rowdy Roddy Piper, and then Roddy Piper handed him his ass, yeah, which was that, really good. If you could ever watch that, that, that's a great clip. Yeah, it's really amazing. Hogan was, like, really reluctant, didn't want to do it, but then eventually, I think he just got pissed off enough that he did it, because he was egged on by Mr. T. <laughs> I pity the fool who don't do what I say. That's on my bucket list, being egged on by Mr. T to do anything. So Hogan puts him in some... He puts him in a sleeper hold. Yeah, that's right. Or or a chin lock. It, well, a rear chin lock. As the professional wrestling expert on this particular podcast, mm. uh, yeah, he put him in a, a rear chin lock, which... I heard it was a front chin lock. <laughs> Essentially, he, he put him in a sleeper hold, and his, his bicep went around his, uh, his neck, and Belzer passed the F out. He's lucky he didn't die. Sleeper hold and a choke hold, they're technically different things, but we don't need to get into all that. But then Belzer slipped from Terry Bolia's grasp <laughs> and fell and slit the back of his head, requiring nine stitches. Yeah. They came back after commercial break, and then Hulk Hogan apologized to Belzer and used it. To his credit, he played this well. He cited the dangers of using wrestling techniques on people who aren't in the business casually. That was actually a smart move. Yeah. It seemed like he must have had a PR guy in his ear because he ain't bright. Uh, he wasn't going to come uh, up with that on his own. He's a he's a worker, and I mean, this is like the height of his of his abilities. And so, I mean, he could to be a professional wrestler, you have to be able to think on your feet, you know, in front of millions of people. It's true. And so, I mean, I can always say, it, you know, hey, don't put a sleeper hold on a comedian, brother. You could. We were uh, elbow deep into Hulkamania at this point, so. Uh, yeah, he was probably the... <laughs> this is about the time he did No Holds Barred, right? Was he on No Holds Barred? I don't... 
He's the the movie. In oh, Nolan's I was part. thinking Zeus. Uh, yeah. A lot of cocaine went into the making of that movie. It's the 80s, of course. Vince McMahon was there. Belzer sued Hulk Hogan for $5 million in damages for personal injury. That's a lot, especially for the mid-80s. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Especially for something that he talked a guy into doing. We're going to skip over the procedural part and just say, Richard Belzer won, and he used the money to buy a farmhouse in Nice, France, which he called Shay Hogan. <laughs> Epic f***ing troll. C'est magnifique. Gotta give him props for that one. That's amazing. So my first exposure to Richard Belzer, not where I exposed myself for the first time, allegedly. I seen it. I was sort of aware at the time that Richard Belzer had been the host of a pseudo talk show. So when the original Flash TV show came out, they casted Richard Belzer as essentially a fictionalized version of him as a Geraldo-type talk show host called Joe Klein. And then later on, he appears as a police detective in Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. <laughs> a couple of years later, he lands a David Simon project based on a book called Homicide, Life on the Street. Uh, David Simon embedded himself sort of um, like Tom Wolfe or Hunter Thompson or uh, Truman Capote and followed around Baltimore police officers. <laughs> he was also following around the criminals they were trying to catch. And the premise of the book is essentially paralleling how one just feeds into each other like an Ouroboros and that it's the environment, the situation, the conditions that people are under that causes what they consider, you know, a crime epidemic in Baltimore and how it's like so layered and so complex that it's really hard to like blame one thing or another. And that, of course, became Homicide Life on the Street, which was an NBC series. It's where Andre Brower got his start. And, you know, it's got Yafet Kodo as their captain, which I just thought was awesome. Nice. Uh, Yafet Kodo is awesome. He's great in Alien as well. And he's in a Bond movie, but whatever. It's live and let die, so you know. Uh, <laughs> so, so that we can live and let die. We couldn't do that without knowing. So Richard Belzer plays a detective named John Munch, who's just a blue-collar, snarky police detective in Baltimore. And Homicide Life on the Street. In Homicide Life on the Street, correct. And his character was based on a real-life cop-turned-actor named Jay Landsman. Now, Jay Landsman is one of the guys that David Simon followed around when he was writing the book Homicide. The real impetus to this was in a 1993 episode of The X-Files called Unusual Suspects, where the lone gunmen, and we're not going to go into that because you could just look that up, the lone gunmen are interrogated in a flashback by Detective John Munch. Then in 1996, John Munch crossed over from Homicide to an episode or a series of episodes of Law and Order. He does so well that when Homicide ends, he joins the first Law and Order spinoff, Law and Order Special Victims Unit, and he becomes a regular on that. This is where Flash starts running around the anti-monitor's weapon. Like, this is where it starts to really crank up. Four of you will get that reference. The uh, <laughs> Because as John Munch in that era, he crosses over with Minimum. Ten different series on five different networks. And we're not just talking about Richard Belzer. We're talking specifically the character Detective John Munch. 
Yes. And it, it runs the gamut. So, I mean, you have, you know, Homicide, you know, Law and Order. Then you get X-Files. You get Arrested Development. You get The Wire, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, 30 Rock. So, because NBC is NBC, Law and Order SVU goes on for a while. Then Law and Order gets canceled at one point and replaced by its own spinoff. I think that's one of the signs of the apocalypse. Hmm. Oh, nobody watches Law and Order anymore. We got to cancel it and put in more Law and Order. Okay, well, there's no hope for mankind, but he's on uh, SVU for, was it 326 episodes, something like that, I want to say? Uh, 241 out of the 324 episodes. Bulk of the series. <laughs> <laughs> and a good day to you, sir. <laughs> oh, I'm just a big fan. <laughs> He shows up in, um, obviously, the other Law & Order series. He shows up then in a very short-lived cop procedural starring Mark Ruffalo in the year 2000 called The Beat. The Beat. Mm -hmm. Apparently, he arrives to a DOA crime scene because he had just moved to New York from Baltimore. And then later, he even shows up in a very short-lived Law & Order spinoff called Trial by Jury. That was back when Law & Order had more franchises than McDonald's. Now, he does appear in, I think it's 2000, he appears in an episode of Third Rock from the Sun, where he says some snarky line to John Lithgow, but it's never stated that he's Munch, he's not credited for Munch, so we don't count it. Same thing with, uh, and a lot of people put this on the list, but I don't think it counts, in a very Brady sequel, the movie, he plays a Los Angeles detective that's unnamed, I'm not going to say it's John Munch. Right. He doesn't, in canon, work in L.A., so. Right. You have to set up some rules for this to make any sense at all. In my favorite cameo of Munch's, he shows up in an episode of The Wire. In Homicide, his character and another character put money together to buy a bar. And then in season five of The Wire, a couple of the characters actually go to that bar. And at the bar is... Richard Belzer as John Munch, and Jay Landsman, the guy that Munch is based on, as the bartender. And they're having oh, a conversation. That's fun. One of the most meta... I didn't notice that at the time. But it's not hard to believe that Homicide, Law and & Order, and The Wire are set in the same universe. I mean, that's reasonable, right? I mean, it's kind of reality-based. It's not like it's on Mars or anything, you know? It's, <laughs> you know, it's just Baltimore. <laughs> I mean, it might suck to live there, but, you know. <laughs> Law and Order, MVU. Oh, but man, that's the most coherent you're going to get from this. Everything else is insane. So, Richard Belzer plays John Munch in a skit on Jimmy Kimmel Live in 2003, which, eh, in The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and in 30 Rock, Yes, he does show up playing John Munch, but in both situations, they're watching TV. They're watching Law and Order. Right. Yeah. That doesn't work because he's a fictional character in those universes. So you shouldn't count those, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the deeper cuts was in the Idris Alba vehicle, Luther. Mm -hmm. Good show until kind of later. In one episode in 2010, Idris Alba who played Stringer Bell in The Wire, says in passing to another character that he had contact with Detective Munch from New York. So John Munch is this ghostly apparition that infiltrates all of television in places you would never possibly think he should belong. 
We point that out because it's the easiest one to follow. You can watch these shows and go, oh, that's that character, which is unprecedented. But at the same time, just scratching the surface of the Tommy Westfall universe. Here's some examples. At one point in uh, St. Elsewhere, a character, a named character from the Bob Newhart show, which is kind of underrated, makes a cameo in the hospital. So we've tied in now that and everything the Bob Newhart show is connected to. In one episode of St. Elsewhere, they mention a, a specific doctor who is a character from MASH. And then in an episode of Cheers, three doctors from St. Elsewhere, as their characters, show up in the bar. All right. You have the three characters from St. Elsewhere, these doctors, Westfall, Craig, and Oshlander, visited the Cheers bar. With that, Norm, Cliff, and Doctors Crane visited the Wings Airport, the show Wings. That's right. Cheers spun off the Tortellis with Carla. And going back to Cheers, it's also spun off Frasier. The John Larroquette show, yes. uh, John Hemingway called in to the Frasier show. So that gets lumped in. Then the John Larroquette show references Yo-Yo Dine. There's so much stuff. You're just going to have to like jump on, folks, because I'm not. we can't explain all of these things to you. You just got to roll with them. So... The John Larroquette show referenced Yo-Yo Dine, the company. Yo-Yo Dine was mm-hmm. a client of Angel from the Buffy universe, Wolfman Hart Law Firm. Angel was a spinoff of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Waylon Yutani from the Alien universe is also a client of Angel's Wolfman and Hart. Yo-Yo Dine is also in Buckaroo Banzai. Yes. You could take any of these strings and pull. I'm just like kind of taking you down one specific pathway. Let's take the ride. Yeah, Waylon Yutani also made weapons uh, used in Firefly by Malcolm Reynolds. Firefly class ship from a unique Firefly universe is visible in a scene in Battlestar Galactica from 2003. Klingon Bird of Prey uh, from the Star Trek universe is also in the graveyard of the Red Dwarf series. That Red Dwarf one had a lot of connections. The TARDIS from the Doctor Who appears in the Red Dwarf series. Mm -hmm. And then... The Doctor Who then spins off Canine and Company and Sarah Jane Adventures mm-hmm. and Torchwood. The Tenth Doctor mentions knowing Arthur Dent from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. TARDIS also appears in Clemsford 123, one something I don't know. The Mighty Morphin Power Rangers make a reference to Gallifrey uh, <sighs> from Doctor Who. And then the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers crossed over with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the Ninja Turtles The Next Mutation. This is kind of where it goes. Because one thing exists, it all exists. It all just means that they're in the same mind of Tommy Westfall. <laughs> Sometimes they're linked by cameos. Sometimes it's by fictional objects or places. Like, let's take um, yeah, New York Central Park doesn't count because it's a place that exists <laughs> in real life. And it's kind of public. If that worked, then, I don't know, breathing oxygen would also be something that you could tie together, you know, so it doesn't matter. However, Central Perk from Friends was at one point visited by, and this is a very short-lived sitcom, the two titular characters from Hope and Gloria. So, and this is what makes it compelling, because it's not just like, oh, I saw something red in the show, and that means that red is in everything. It's not like, you know, I don't know, it's not Schindler's List. These characters intentionally are are threads throughout all of these things. Yes. Where we have to differentiate, though, let's say an object. Like a pack of Morley cigarettes. Right. Now, Cancer Man from the X-Files chain-smoked Morley's. Mm Mm-hmm. And they show up in Space Above and Beyond, which was by some of the producers of the X-Files. 
Lost, The Walking Dead, and lots of other stuff. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy, yeah. The L Word. Mm-hmm. Burn Notice. With Bruce Campbell. Becker. American Horror Story. The thing is, you can't really... A lot of people do, but I don't know that you should count that because the Morley cigarette thing goes back to the really early days in TV prop making. Because cigarette companies used to sponsor TV shows, if they didn't get a sponsorship... You couldn't do any product placement. And so some prop producer created Marley cigarettes based on what the slang term for Marlboro's Marley's. And so if you ever needed prop cigarettes, everyone used Morley cigarettes. So it wasn't as much an intentional thread as a default common thing. Say an example of the, a similar thing would have been red apple cigarettes in the Quentin Tarantino universe. Except that one is unique to Tarantino. Exactly. What I'm saying is like Morley is a little more generic. While he like specifically created a brand, placed it prominently in all of his films to tie them all together. Tied the movie together, did it not? (laughs) Another example, like you were saying, is J.J. Abrams' Slusho brand, Mm -hmm. the frozen drinks. He created that brand and it shows up in Alias, Heroes, Cloverfield, Fringe, Star Trek movies that he did, Super 8. 11 2263, which is Stephen King, so you can skip it. <laughs> Pretty sure you were there with me that year in Comic Con where we all got slusho t shirts. Mm-hmm. So that counts, but Morley's, that's in a gray area where you probably shouldn't. And that breaks down a couple of these threads pretty dramatically if, if you do that. But because if you do count Morley's, that universe is insane. That can't possibly exist together, right? Like you can't have Firefly and Space Above and Beyond, right? Because they come from different continuities that don't... Well, I mean, that's part of this whole thing. I think trying to find a consistent and thought out, you know, universe that works, I think that's the wrong approach to take with this. And if anything, this is all supposed to be in the mind of a little boy. Well, why would we think it would all fit together and make sense? True. Continuity Um, wouldn't matter at that point. No. Yeah. You're right. This is the same thing we have with Star Trek versus Star Wars and DC versus Marvel. We're trying to figure out a coherent and and consistent continuity out of stuff that probably doesn't make sense altogether, right? So Yes, I think think this one might be the extreme example of that. You see these things shaking hands and realize that they're all friends or that they're all having winks and nods at each other. Mm -hmm. But tying them to some type of codified law that it all must work and fit and match – that's that's not the approach you should take to this. You should have guidelines because if you don't, everything's in. You know, like, oh, somebody ate pasta. That means he's in the Sopranos universe. Like, no, that's not really how that works. Right. You need specifics. And even those specifics might need, like a Morley's, might need uh, further specifics. You know, does a, this car rental company, you know, a, a, a specific, you know, made up or are they made up? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Like Yo-Yo Dine or Waylon uh, A Yo-Yo Dine, a Waylon yutani Even as a kid, I noticed there was something about this. The X-Files was always really, really popular on Fox. It was the biggest show on their network. And they had a hard time filling the time slot before and after X-Files. And it was just this, like, constantly rotating one, two season shows that were just jettisoned, you know, like... Was it called Encounters? The like, like, the, like Inside Edition for UFO conspiracists. That was a show. Then there was Briscoe County Junior, starring uh, Bruce Campbell, which was actually totally awesome. 
and then Millennium came after X-Files, and it didn't last very long. And then you had a show called Strange Luck, starring D.B. Sweeney, who is ironically in Fire in the Sky, being abducted <laughs> by aliens. <laughs> and the premise of that show is that he's basically got luck powers. He's essentially Domino slash Longshot slash several other characters in Marvel and DC. And in one episode, references Fox Mulder as a contact. So then, even at that point, I was like, whoa, not every show is in their own universe. They're in all universes. And, and that's a minor one, because if you look at the chart, because there are many charts and many maps that have been made about the Westfall universe, the X-Files Strange Luck one is just a dead end, because Strange Luck was canceled after one season. <laughs> but but it's the first time I remember seeing this. So determining which thing is a thread and which isn't is a little gray. But And if you take it too strictly, none of this stuff works, and you just turn into the jerk on Reddit who bitched about all this. Some people try and shoehorn stock footage into it. Which is not fair. It's the same thing as Morley Cigarettes, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. In fact, those are pretty good parallels. It's essentially, or the uh, the Wilhelm scream. Those are just things that everybody has and everybody uses, and it doesn't mean that they're related. Here's a weird one. Oceanic Airlines is the airline that crashes in Lost. It's mentioned in you're right, Veronica Mars. It's essentially mentioned in like four or five different shows, unrelated to each other, and fictional, which means they're referencing that specific fictional thing. But in Lost, a lot of the shots that they used to save money of Oceanic Airlines was actually just recycled footage from the movie Executive Decision with Kurt Russell and uh, Steven Seagal, who dies, thankfully, in them. <laughs> thankfully. So, like, so like on one hand, Oceanic Airlines is important, and it is a through thread, but the footage of it isn't. Just like with Highlander, there are rules to this. <laughs> This is, this is not Nam. This We're is the Tommy Westfall universe. <laughs> so there are several websites that are dedicated to curating this concept. One of which is is it Tommy Westfall Universe dot WordPress dot com or something along those lines. Tommy Westfall dot Fandom dot com. The WordPress site is the one that actually put all this together the first time, and they were the ones who put all the legwork into it. The fandom one is they took all of that work. It's a wiki, so they just put it up. And then they also are actually actively updating it when new stuff comes out because this is still going. As opposed to the WordPress, which kind of kind of stopped around 2016. Yeah, it kind of fell off then. And then some of the comments that people leave are from after that, the tie-in stuff. But then all that's debated. You know, like there's there are people who are trying to be like, well, this actor was in this and then this. So they're linked. And you're like, no, no. Actors don't count. And even if they're playing themselves, they have to play themselves in two different shows for that to matter, right? And I still you know? don't think, I mean, I personally wouldn't say Steve Gutenberg playing Steve Gutenberg. Party down. And that that's like a, that, that doesn't really fit for me. That's like saying President Bush was here in X-Files. President Bush was also the president in Star Trek or whatever. That doesn't count. But if you have like, you know, Steve Gutenberg playing the president, watch Madu. You know, in this it's this show, and he also plays Watchmadu in another show. Those things count. Those are actual tied. It's it's a created connection. And then there's the other side of that where people try and argue that if they show a presidential election in one of these universes and then the presidential election goes a different way in a different universe, then they can't be connected. They contradict each other. But that's when you have to go like just just back the f- off. Yes, that happens, but it is just a little kid's memory, so 
In the rules from posting on Westfall fandom, they state, in this universe, you have outliers where certain shows spawn more crossovers than others. For instance, All in the Family had seven spinoffs, ultimately, from the show. And some of them were spinoffs of spinoffs. That's way too many. Well, you know, I didn't write it. (laughs) Another one of the hubs that I discovered today... There was this, a very, very, very short-lived sitcom called Hi, Honey, I'm Home in the 80s. It featured a family called the Nielsens, not even trying at that point, who live in a suburb which is populated by old sitcom characters because they're part of the sitcom relocation program. What? Which I'm glad our tax dollars is going to <laughs> at this point. Okay. And so for crossovers... This is a gold mine. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, you have Gail Gordon as Theodore J. Mooney from The Lucy Show. Barbara Billingsley as June Cleaver from Leave it to Beaver. Mm-hmm. Audrey Meadows, Joyce Randolph, and Alice Cramden. As Trixie Norton from The Honeymooners. Uh, you have Gomer Pyle from Andy Griffith's show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grandpa Munster from The Munsters. Yes, as Grandpa Munster. Yeah. yeah, he appears in that too. Yeah, which, uh, yes. Uh, and that's another thing. It's not just actors, it's the characters. It has to be the character. Yeah. yeah. So when Alf shows up in Mr. Robot, that one it's doesn't count. Alf. Well, you don't think that counts? I don't think, well, he was having a dream. He's having a fever dream, yeah. Yeah. I, when you're like. But Alf showed up in character. Uh, it's Alf. He's not a person. I don't know what criteria think, you need I think if, to. If, well, just because he had a dream of Alf, it could have been Alf from the show that he watched. You know what I mean? So what you're saying is that because he saw Alf as a show, as a fictional character, it showing up in his dream shouldn't count, right? Yes. Okay, well, that's a, that's a fair argument. That's a fair argument. I think right? that's a bit of a tenuous one. I think there are plenty of other ALF connections like... Uh, oh, yeah, 100%. The Bob Newhart show, Elliot Carlin, Visited the Tanners, an ALF on ALF. You know, that one makes more sense. That's a legit connection. Cognizant character meets other cognizant characters. It's not mm-hmm. uh, an extrapolation. It's not a dream. It's not a TV show based on something. It's not uh, making fun of something. It's the legit characters meeting the other characters. I've seen this debate a lot online about this. In the X-Files, at one point, they're followed around by the, the Fox show Cops. I agree. I don't think it's fair to use that because Cops is a pseudo real life thing. And you're just using the name of the show. If Cops was a scripted melodrama and then Scully and Mulder show up, okay, that's a thing. But having the show Cops make an appearance in X-Files doesn't really count because that's not really Cops. That's not really the show. It's just kind of like a parodied version. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't include that. This website also specifically does not like puppet series, which... Okay, I don't know how often that comes up, but it does specifically refer to at least one example, and that's when in an episode of Sesame Street, they used a puppet that looks like John Munch, which is funny, but the voice isn't played by Richard Belzer, they never call him Munch, and he's a puppet, so... (laughs) (laughs) But on the other hand, a lot of people like to include The Simpsons, because they do have very specific characters that are supposed to be those characters, just in an animated form. I'm 50-50 on that one. I don't, I don't know. It's like Scully and Mulder show up on, on Simpsons. 
I, I think there's a debate to be had on both sides there. A lot of people don't like to include movies, but at some point you have to. Here's one of my favorites. So John Munch shows up in Arrested Development as his character. And then in Guardians of the Galaxy, in the background, Tobias Funke is one of the collector's trinkets or whatever. And it's very obviously Tobias. Blue and jean shorts and the whole thing. And if you want one that's less, you know, on the fence, the Russo brothers who directed Civil War and those last two Avengers movies were also writers on Community and Arrested Development. And in the, the Civil War fight scene at the airport is the is very specifically the Bluth family stair car for their airplanes. <laughs> the Bluths exist in the Marvel Universe. So you kind of have to include some movies. You just have to. Go in the All in the Family universe. All in the Family created the Jeffersons. And then B. Arthur's character from All in the Family spun off to Maud. And then that spun off to Good Times. I'm pretty sure there's a spinoff with the Jeffersons. You know, it keeps going on and on and on down the line. Another giant hub, of course, is Law and Order. Bum, 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 bum. Sued. I'm just I'm just saying I'd like to see Ace Attorney in Law and Order. That's all. Okay. Or Matlock. I'd like to see Ace Attorney, Phoenix Wright, go against Matlock in court. Uh, neither can lose, so it's it's a stalemate. <laughs> Objection. Hearsay. <laughs> I'd allow it. In some shows there are multiple ties. And it can muddy the waters even more. So we talked about Chicago Hope's character winning the same award, a character in San Elsewhere. And then Chicago Hope's same character, Jeffrey Geiger, treated the character Douglas Wamba from Picket Fences. When cows started dying in Picket Fences, the town it's based in, which is Rome, Wisconsin, a resident of Rome mentioned Scully and Mulder were investigating the deaths. And then another tie would be early edition when two characters, Gary and Melissa, went to Chicago Hope for medical care. Below that, you get... Do you ever watch Martial Law with Sam Hung? No, I don't think so. You know Sam Hung. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had a show in America called Martial Law where he played a character called Sam Law. Yep. He was a cop. And it was, and was good, it good at, at his job. job. Oh, you... <laughs> so, um, in the show Early Edition, which lasted longer than anyone thought it should... When that main character is asked to locate someone, basically he's called on as a PI to find Sam Hung's character from Martial Law. And then in Martial Law, Sam Hung chased the suspect to Texas, where he was aided by none other than Walker, Texas Ranger. Walker says I have AIDS. <laughs> That's one of the greatest scenes in any TV show. I love it. The Bob Newhart show, they had a character called Elliot Carlin, which I think we've talked about. And he showed up at the psych board of Allegis Hospital. That same character was a guest on Alf. And then another character named Jerry Robinson appeared on the last episode of Bob, which was Bob Newhart's third show where he was a comic book illustrator. In the Bob Newhart show, the character Carol was Murphy Brown's secretary in an episode. So and then Murphy Brown visited the newsroom in the short-lived show called Inc., and this is where you get multiple occasions here. So in the show Inc., Kate Montgomery dated a character from the show Love and War, 
one of Love and War's characters appeared in an episode of a show called Double Rush. I don't even know what that is. What are these shows? But honestly, a lot of them went on longer than you would think they would. Also, Murphy Brown's show, FYI, appeared on an episode of Love and War. A lot of these are shows that don't exist past like a season or so. There was a short-lived sitcom called Can't Hurry Love. No, you can't. Called Ant. You can't do that. Well, you can't buy me. No, no, you can. You can do that too. It just costs money. Wait, are you telling me that fools rush in? There are no fools in Russia. A show called Can't Hurry Love. A character from that got arrested for wearing real-life human being Liz Taylor's pearl necklace, which. In an episode of The Nanny, those pearls were then stolen from the police station, where Murphy Brown interviewed Liz Taylor about the missing pearls and tried to investigate where they were. The thief who stole the pearls then eventually did a B&E of a character from High Society, which I, I've never seen, and I've seen a lot of shitty sitcoms. When their stuff was returned to them, they landed Liz Taylor's pearls which is really bizarre, but I think that was one of those manufactured crossovers intentionally by the network. Mm, They wanted to create a crossover situation. But as an example of how you have multiple ties to these shows, you had that whole rigmarole that went from A to Q, and then... Q? No, not that Q. And not the other Q either. (laughs) (laughs) Picard! Even more simply... In an episode of The Nanny, there's a plane crash, and that's covered by Murphy Brown's show, FYI. So you could do all those other things with those other shows, or you could just do one-to-one. And this is one of my favorites. I remember this. It's one of the only endings of a show that rivals St. Elsewhere. At the end of Newhart, he goes to sleep, and he wakes up on the set of The Bob Newhart Show, his show before that, with the same actress playing his wife, and it turns out the whole thing was a dream. Super similar to Tommy Westfall. Great. It's fantastic. And then they did a reunion show where one of the characters in the Bob Newhart show was also, I don't know, the wormy other astronaut in I Dream of Genie. Because he was trying to relate to Bob Newhart, he said he dreamed that he was astronaut Roger Haley from I Dream of Genie. In Newhart, Larry, Daryl, and Daryl, at one point, they lived in Coach's basement. You mean like from Coach? Not cheers, coach. Yeah, coach, coach. Yeah, <laughs> coach, coach. Do you do you like like coach, coach? <laughs> Craig T. Nelson. Craig T. Nelson's coach. Dauber coach. Yeah, Dauber coach. Yes, one hundred percent. Coach's character Luther and Drew Carey from his show gambled together in an episode of Grace Under Fire, which did use a Beatles song for its theme song, but also. <laughs> Then Coach's character, Luthor, Luther, Mr. Luthor. <laughs> and then the Drew Carey show's character, Mimi, got into a bidding war in an episode of Over Like a House or whatever. And two characters from Ellen DeGeneres' sitcom, Ellen, showed up walking by, which I don't know if that should count. But then we get into territory like the A-Team's opening when Dirk Benedict, a Cylon, walks in front of him. Do you not remember yeah, I, this? Oh, man. Vaguely? They break the fourth wall like the hardcore in the A-Team, just in their opening credits. From the classic A-Team series, 10 years a crack commando team was sent to prison for a crime they didn't commit. They survived as soldiers of fortune. Man, this opening is crazy. I don't... 
if <laughs> you're you're literally right on it. Was I really? Yeah, that was creepy. <laughs> oh man, I wish we were recording that. Yeah, that's the same one. No, that was Cylon. I'll just type that. <laughs> nope, I found it. Yeah, no, I think that's just that's from an episode. Yeah, but they in later seasons they use that as his introductory part in the opening. See, but I wonder was that like at a theme park? Yeah, the sign of at Universal Studios. Right, absolutely. But in the episode, he takes pause, like he understands yes. what it yeah, is. Yeah, he points at it. Yeah. That's the thing right yes. there, was that he recognizes that it's a thing he should know. The director was against it, but they filmed it anyway, and it made it into the episode, and eventually the opening credits. Oof. Well, and then if you go to um, Battlestar Galactica 1980, they're driving around essentially a modified version of Kit. Because they have the same red tracking thing on their optical sensors. Mm, that one's a little more tenuous. They did that literally because they were trying to get people more interested in Night Rider. Huh. Okay. It is legitimate. Sure. So, also, in The Nanny, it's revealed everybody loves Raymond. Raymond went to high school with Fran. And then in Everybody Loves Raymond, it turns out that he's friends with King of Queens. And then he meets Ray from Everybody Loves Raymond at Becker's office. While a character from the last Cosby show, just called Cosby, is sitting there in the waiting room. That's a lot. That That is too much. It's a lot. And we didn't even touch the spinoffs of Golden Girls. Uh, just off the top of my head, I can say... Okay, there was Golden Girls, then there was Empty Nest because of Richard Mulligan, and then that spun off into the show Nurses with Marsha Warfield. I always find the spinoffs not as engaging because they're a little more like one-to-one as opposed to two completely different versions of worlds touching each other lovingly. Reaching out, <laughs> reaching in. Hands. Touching hands. Touching hands, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's what they do. The Jewish Elvis, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I agree, but these are the easiest ones to track down. You can logically defend this math, you know? When Cable ran into characters, Detective Frank Pembleton, Andre Brower, and Tim Mm -hmm. Bayless, Mm -hmm. Kyle Secor, in an issue. And that's one of the few, like, genre jumps we have. A lot of times the community doesn't want to admit tunes, puppet series, or comic books or movies, you know, something outside of the TV realm. But you can't really deny the connections. If you're going to make this, you have to admit all of the connections, as long as they're legitimate. That is a literal one for one. Mm-hmm. Those guys, those characters appear in Cable. Was it Cable 33? Mm-hmm. I think those are the same characters from Homicide, which has John Munch, which is tied directly to St. Elsewhere. It's cut and dry. There's no getting around it, which also means that Heroes Reborn is in the St. Elsewhere universe. (laughs) Slapstick is in the same universe. We're going to do that episode about Slapstick versus Ambush Bug. Ah. That'll be a fun one. It'll be like doing Batmite versus the Great Kazoo. (laughs) Okay, and so we're not being fair unless we show the argument against a lot of these connections. There are people that find logical flaws in the connections, which is understandable. But the people that contradict it, first of all, they spoil the fun for everybody. One of the main ones they used, The Walking Dead. 
So in the logic of the Tommy Westfall universe, The Walking Dead is technically in canon. Right. You have Morley's are in The Walking Dead. The blue meth from Breaking Bad shows up in Walking Dead. That one is fair. That's all that the the great key has, at least. The problem with that is in the continuity of the show, Walking Dead, the zombie apocalypse happens in, what, 2010? Well, yeah. I mean, this is the same thing with Star Trek. I mean, wasn't the eugenics war in the 90s? 1992 to 1996. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Isn't it just the thought of it's a multiverse inside his mind that is all connected that he all came up with? Yeah, this is where, where we start getting into like real semantic bitchiness. If you include this, you include that, which is fun. But then, unfortunately, the other side is, well, but if you do that, then this other thing is in canon and it doesn't make any sense. Our response to that is just shut the f*** up and enjoy it. It's fun. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Battlestar Galactica is a variant of Star Trek, which is a variant of Walking Dead. And if you want to think of it in the Loki terms, I think it's a, it's a, an easy way to understand universes and how they kind of split off. But that entire tree, it all comes from the seed of the brainstem of Tommy Westfall. That whole tree, all of its flowers, all of its branches, that's all in his little cranium there. The world tree, Yggdrasil. Yes, yes, it's Tommy Yggdrasil. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Tommy Allfather, right? Tommy, can you hear me? <laughs> of course I can. It's the Tommy Woden universe. <laughs> I'm Tommy Zeus. I'm Tommy Jehovah. The dumbest books and kick him out. <laughs> oh, he's going to hang out with Tommy Buddha. No, they think Buddha's cool. They buy their drugs from Buddha. So, they, of course, they have to sit favorite songs or whatever, but. Him and Tommy Selassie. He's playing Sister Christian on the new <laughs> stack that he bought. With this, oh, you have to sit there for it. In, in the Tommy Tidy Whities. That's much like Buddhism. <laughs> Which is a lot like Pokemon. Very much so. So he, the entire project of the Tommy Westfall universe, it seems, is to make sense of a chaotic world. You know, at its base, that's kind of what conspiracy theories are fun doing, like what lessons can we learn from the Tommy Westfall universe? Tommy is all. None. Live your truth inside Tommy. What can we take away from the Tommy Westfall universe? Nothing. Everything. But man, it's fun. Everything you love. Almost everything you are into, whether it's Zack Snyder's Justice League or the latest Doctor Strange, whether it's The Simpsons or Andy Griffith Show, it's all connected, baby. It sure is. It's all one thing. That crazy homeless person that tries to tell you that it's all connected, it turns out he's right. Yeah. He knew all along. He knew all along. You know, when it comes down to it, which religion is correct? None of them. It turns out it was that guy that huffs glue at the end of the street. He was the only one that was right. He had the answers. No pants. He knew it. He couldn't find pants, but he had the answers. No pants are the answer. And we've gotten way past the era when you were a barrel with suspenders. Hoberalls. That's what they're called. Hoberalls. That's it. We're going to make a bajillion. No, we're going to make zero, zero. money. Because we're going to make negative money. We'll make stack after stack of expired cans of beans as far as the eye can see. We're going to have so many semen samples. <laughs> <laughs> so many bush light cans with cigarette ashes in them. We're going to be kings <laughs> among men. Yeah. So, like, obviously, we couldn't even touch how many things are in this universe. We just kind of wanted to give you a smattering. Go look for yourself and then, I don't know, tweet at us or text us or something. And don't, don't text me. DM's open. 
No, he's in the sitcom relocation program. It's a uh, it's it's my blue uh, Halloween. Is that a my blue heaven reference? Yes. <laughs> you know that is a sequel to Goodfellas, right? Which I'm sure is probably connected to Tommy Westfall. Right, I should be. It probably is. I mean, honestly, we just didn't do the legwork to find out. Even though we did tons of research, it's just this is such a huge sprawling thing that I thought we did a lot of research for uh, Mandela Effect. Jesus Christ, this is way deeper than that. Yeah, which is weird. But the thing about this, this is a fun conspiracy theory. You know, we just don't have them anymore. One of the only ones we have left. And it's funny because Richard Belzer has written several books on conspiracy theories and is a huge conspiracy theorist. What's the conspiracy behind that? When he appears with the person for whom he is modeled, the universe ended. The true simulation is in Tommy Westfall's brain, isn't it? There it is. Papa Tommy. And we would be remiss to not mention the news radio reference. In a post credit scene in news radio, they reenact Tommy Westfall snow globe sequence, which ironically is not connected to <laughs> the Tommy Westfall universe, but pays homage. And it's great. Nothing wrong with that. The, the irony still exists. Yeah. You know what else exists? The like button. The subscribe button. Those exist. Mm-hmm. And next time you're on TBS watching a rerun of Rizzolian Isles, remember. Uh, yes, you are a person and you deserve better. All right. Well, he's right. Please like, subscribe, follow, do all those things, especially on Apple Podcasts, because that's the easiest way to shoot us up the charts. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, which is awful. And various other and sundry social media platforms. Yeah, like our FetLife account. We should update our <laughs> FetLife account. We should. Our uh, adult friend finder <laughs> profile has been lacking recently. Don't forget to support your local comic shops and retailers. And on behalf of Dispatch Ajax, I would like to say Godspeed, fair wizards. See ya! Hi, Pop. How are you doing? Good. How was your day up on the building? Well, we uh, finally topped off the 22nd story. No beat. How's he been? To give you any trouble? He's been sitting there ever since you left this morning. Just like he does every day. World of his own. Careful with that, son. Remember I told you that? I don't understand this autism thing, Pop. Here's my son. I talk to him. I don't even know if he can hear me. He sits there all day long in his own world, staring at that toy. What's he think about? Right, no, come on, Tommy. Let's go wash our hands, all right? All right. All right. All right.